first, just so we can make sure we're all on the same page and remembering what we've learned so far. Um, I kind of titled, you know, kind of what we looked at last week, Two Worlds in Division on Collision, because really, that's, that's the situation we have. We've got Jesus, his way, his truth, his life, and it conflicts with this culture. You know, as we know it, the uh, Ephesians five talks about our our world being, uh, you know, being governed by rulers and authorities and um, of, of of a dark world, and the dark world being influenced, of course, by Satan. Um, and it can be apathetic; it can be just purely wicked and evil. Um, but it's truly resistant. It's truly is resistant of God's of God's way, Christ's way. That's why I have that picture. You know, it just doesn't fit. And so, in a pluralistic society, we try to make Jesus fit the best we can, but it doesn't work because Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." He resists that, um, and that's why he says, because of his very message and his very purpose, this kingdom, the thing that he set out to do, it's going to cause division. And he says that in Matthew 10. We looked at that last week. Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword or division, as Luke says it, Luke 12, 51. And then he goes on to say, here's the remedy. Here's the solution. A certain way, the way of the old way of you know, celebration of liberalism, the choices and, and your way and going off and doing your thing, you're going to have to die to that. That, that that part of you needs to die off and you need to learn a new way which is submissive to, to Christ and so certain things that you say yes to you're going to have to learn to say no to and try to learn a different way and of course it takes a whole lot of spiritual help to do this and God has given us the spirit to help us and the Bible is very clear about this that's why he says in Matthew 10 38 to 39 whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me we want to be worthy of God's kingdom and worthy of, of, of Christ. We do. And so we need to learn this, this discipline, this way, this mentality of, of saying no to ourselves, saying no to certain things, which is, goes against our society. Our society celebrates individuality and choice and, you know, you be who you are and do it the best. But Jesus is saying, I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for God's kingdom and you're welcome to come along. In fact, it's excellent. So we have to kind of trust that what God has for us is better than what we have for us and what we've been told by society and those who advocate, you know, freedom of choice and individuality. Jesus says, find your identity in me. So you need to die to yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow me. And those who are able to do that are worthy of this great calling, being a citizen in God's kingdom. So he concludes by saying, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So I kind of titled that little section, or kind of summed it up by saying, death to self is real life discovered at last. 
So that's a contest, or, or context, rather. And this is the disciples in chapter 10. Jesus is instructing them, go out into this area, local area here, and, and, and spread the gospel, spread the news as quickly as you possibly can. You're going to receive a lot of opposition, okay? And they're going to come against you. They're going to lock you up. They're going to accuse you and call you names. You're going to receive a lot of resistance, a lot of opposition. But the good news is, there will not always be opposition. Ah, oh, isn't that awesome? <laughs> There's not always going to be opposition. It's going to happen, but that's not always going to be the case. There's going to be good news. There's going to be breakthroughs. Okay? We've already talked about earlier, he says, when you go into town, find a worthy person. Jesus is suggesting that there are worthy people out there that you would go and stay with and, 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 be, and find a base for that place as the gospel's preached out. But also, as you're giving the message, you're going to find people who are going to receive or welcome the message. And the word here I put in red, this nice projector we have here, now we can see colors, so I'm utilizing the fact that we can see colors now. Um, the red-ish colors up there, they're kind of dark red. I did it on purpose just to be on the safe side, so it's not bright red. It's meant to be kind of darkish red. It's welcomes or receiving. And the word welcome and receive means to take up, to receive. In regards to a thing offered, like a speaking or a teaching or instruction, is to receive favorably. To give ear, to listen to someone, and to make it one's own. To say, yeah, I agree with this. This is a right-on thing. It's to approve and not to reject. And that word welcomes or receives, it says welcomes up here, but in some translation might say receives. It appears one, two, three, four times. And in a different version, it says receives on the double asterisk later on. That is the word uh, lambano, which means to take to receive what is given, to gain, to get, to obtain. So to receive, to approve of a message, you get some kind of bonus. There's something that's, that's obtained. And so these people are going out, these disciples, and they're giving a message. And they've already been told, listen, you're going to be rejected, hated by your family and whatnot, okay? But there's good news. You're going to enter into certain places and certain situations where the message is going to be received. It's going to be welcomed. And when people do that, they're not just welcoming you, they're welcoming Jesus. Anyone who welcomes me, or anyone who welcomes you rather, welcomes me, Jesus says. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the one who sends me. So to receive the message is to receive Christ, and ultimately to receive God. And this works well with what we talked about last week, about the whole idea about the way, the truth, of life. People want to find, many people want to find goodness or rightness. Or God. And so in our society, we've been lied to. Oh, there's many ways to God. God's like a mountaintop, and, and there's a lot of roads up to it. But you know what? The reality is, you know, there is one way, Jesus says. He, Jesus is the mountain, <laughs> and you need to go to Jesus to find God. Um, but there are going to people who are going to listen to this. They're going to hear it, they're going to receive it, and they're going to find God. And that's what we want. We want people to find God through Jesus. So he goes on to say, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. This is going to be kind of tricky. And this is the part of, this, of the message today I struggled with, which I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes talking about. What is this? To receive a prophet means to receive his reward? What's his reward? Or we see, we're talking about the gospel here, aren't we? Here's the, the gospel message. And then we get this reward, this prophet's reward. Of course, the disciples, in a sense, are prophets because they're speaking God's word, right? Whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. So what's this? And the righteous person, again, is the person, the daikusune, 
the one who lives according to the kingdom of God, who has got this, who, who, who's embraced and saturated with the goodness of God because of the grace of God, which is all things that we, I think, can easily comprehend. But the tricky part to me is this. Well, let me finish up the verse first, because he continues by saying, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water. So even a little token to care, to receive, to accept these disciples. God sees it and acknowledges it. Even a cup of cold water given to one of these little ones, who is my disciple. Truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose the reward. So there's the word reward again. Reward, reward. What's this business about reward? And I'm struggling with this. And I don't know if you guys are seeing the same struggles I'm, str- I'm seeing here about reward. Because the word reward, you see it down here on the bottom, is, is misthos, which speaks of a dues paid for work or a wage. So something you work for to get. So you're already seeing a little bit some issues here. What we should talk about misthos, dues paid for work, wages. To re- what are you receiving? If you receive the message and the people, then you get a reward. Okay, we're going to deal with this. Next slide, please. It's kind of hard to change your notes and hold a cup of coffee at the same time. I need to get my little table down. This is my coffee table. There we go. Okay. So one simple explanation, which I've seen in commentaries a lot, which kind of doesn't really address the issue that I think we're seeing here, but here it is. These rewards, these wages are the blessings of knowing Christ. Okay, and I'll I'll accept that. Okay, there's an element of this is true. And I'll I'll explain to you why later I think that is the case. The blessings of knowing Christ, to receive the message, to receive the messengers, is to receive, and the reward, the payoff, the benefit is the blessings of knowing Christ. Knowing that he cares for you. Knowing that he provides, he supplies the disciples all that they need. That he values you like we've already seen. That his disciples have an actual relationship with him. The, the, the knowledge of knowing we can have a relationship with God. The knowledge that his disciples are truly citizens in his kingdom. You know, that's, that could be us. That we can be citizens of God's kingdom. The knowledge of life and eternal. The knowledge of joy and peace and grace and mercy and so on and so forth. All the good things that we, we get for being God's people. But the question still has to be asked, are these misthos? Are these dues paid for work, for wages? Do we earn these things? Mm, I don't know. Can, can you earn the gospel? I mean, we're going to have some verses here that agree with me, but as far as I was concerned as a good Christian boy growing up in a good Christian evangelical church, you can't earn God's favor. You can't earn God's grace. You can't earn salvation. You can't earn it. So is, it a, is, it, is this right to say that, I mean, maybe it's just the knowledge. Maybe it's something a bit different. Maybe it's not just the state of these things. Maybe after, after you receive the, the state through a grace and mercy, that the light bulb t- turns on. And that, that time that light turns on, that it's in itself the reward, the payoff. Uh, I don't know, but let's investigate this some more. The next slide says, well, here we go. Here's the obvious rhetorical question. Can Jesus be earned? Can Jesus be earned? Basically, that's who they're giving. They're giving people the gospel. They're giving them Jesus. You know, and his, what he has to offer on the cross and, and his perfect life, basically, through the cross. 
Can it be earned? Again, my evangelical upbringing tells me that there's some red flags going on here. Jesus can't be earned. According to what I know, and I wrote it up here in my words, the gospel is the good news message that says we're justified, which means our wrongs made right by faith. Total trust in Jesus. That's what faith means, right? And this reconciles us to God. This makes us, that's the gospel. We want, we're estranged from God and we want to be pulled back to God. We want to have that relationship restored. And that's what reconciliation means, the restoration of friendship gone astray. But it happens because of what Jesus did. And we have this thing called faith. And the faith is what receives it, reciprocates the love gift of, of salvation, of reconciliation and justification, which means wrongs made right. Romans 3.28 says this, For we maintain, he's persistent, we're going to keep this, <laughs> the fact, that a person is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. You cannot do any certain amount of works according to the law that makes you right before God. You can't do it. You, you'll fail right off the bat. You can't do it. It's not possible. <clears throat> so a relationship with God cannot be earned like a wage. You know, hey, good job. Here's your payment for being so good. Isaiah agrees with this. In Isaiah 64, 6, he says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts, all our really good deeds are like filthy rags. I'm not going to tell you what filthy rags means here in the literal. It's kind of gross. But it's filthy and it's rags. Okay? That, that's, that's what we deserve. Our payoff, our wages should be filthy rags. But we get something beautiful. Do we... Do we really earn the gospel? Do we really earn salvation? According to these verses, I'm struggling with, with that. There might be something more to it. These, these things that we can earn, if you will, these rewards. Okay? So, these wages, the, the, this salvation, this justification, this reconciliation, if you will, the wages, the, this gospel, it was earned by Jesus. It wasn't earned by us. That's what I understand. It's the way, the salvation, it, the wages earned were earned by Jesus, by his perfect life that was sacrificed on the cross. That's what I understand, my upbringing. That's what I think these verses say. And we'll have one more yet to come. So it's Jesus who earned it because his perfect life. And then he sacrificed that on the cross for our benefit. For our, so we can receive the free gift. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Now here's one word I keep seeing. Through faith, through faith, through faith. So we have to admit at least there is some responsibility. In fact, I would say there's a great responsibility. Because faith isn't simple. Faith, as I define it, is total trust. So it's a free gift. Here it is. Take it. But we have to take it. And the word faith appears several times. It's grace you get. But you have to take it through faith. What does that mean? I, I get it over here. <laughs> it's not a passive thing. Jesus gives you the free gift of the gospel, and he forces it on you, and you take it passively. That's not what the Bible says. It's an active reception. Faith, total trust in God. That's not a small thing. Now, again, I'm not saying that you earn it. It's almost like, the way I'm seeing this so far, it's almost like, and, and, and there's more verses to come. It's almost like a wham, bam, bang. You got the gift, the gospel. You don't earn it, you don't work for it. He gives it to you. And then you change. And the Bible says this. You know, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit and stuff like that. 
talks about you being a new creation in Christ. We talk about that a lot in the new year. New creation, a new person comes out. That, that because the Holy Spirit, when it happens when you receive the gospel, through faith, which is not a small thing, it's a radical thing. It's so radical, so strong, it changes you. Because it surrenders you. It makes you die to yourself. Die, you know, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. So it's a major thing, this faith. It's not a little thing. It's not passive at all. It's active. Yes, total trust in Jesus. You change. And I think these rewards, as we're going to see, comes almost after that. It's like bing, bing, bung. You receive. It's a free gift. Through faith, you receive it. You change. And now you start acting and doing and speaking and being different. And these rewards, I think, are fruits of a changed life. It's almost like tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Following Jesus actually works. <laughs> what The things that the, actually, following Jesus isn't just something you do because you're a religious person, but actually following Jesus makes a difference. I think that's what we start to see, these kind of benefits. And, and, and they're also described, are called crowns in the Bible as well. And they're eternal, in a sense. I'm not sure if that's the next slide or not. I'm going to see real quick. No, but go to the next slide anyways. It'll be here eventually. So put a tack in that. What we do matters. And that's the point I think we need to see here. These people received the disciple. They received the message as opposed to reject it. What they did matters. And we can relate to the story in two different levels. First of all, we can be like those who received the disciples receive the message, receive Jesus, and ultimately receiving God. And so we have to ask ourselves that question. Have we received? Have we had that first initial bingo, bingo, bingo? The first one, the receiving by total trust, by faith. Have we received it? Because like those people in the story we hear, they heard the message, they received the message. And so that's why I like to talk about James 2.20 a little bit here. In, in, in light of, of this portion of the story, those who are given the opportunity to receive Jesus. Have you received Jesus? James 2, 20, 24 says this, you foolish person. I'm not calling you foolish. James is calling you foolish. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together in conjunction. And his faith was made complete. Here's the word faith. He's defining faith through Abraham. Abraham didn't, didn't and of course I've got this silly question on the top. Can we be saved and be evil? <laughs> of course not. That's ridiculous. And that's what James is saying. Abraham had a man of faith. He was counted righteous. He didn't just say, okay, give, I give him my free gift of salvation so I can go out and do whatever the heck I want to do. The life myself. Consume sin and evil, whatever. Yada, 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 yada. Okay? He acted in faith, total trust in God, even to the point where God asked him, do something ultra, ultimately difficult. Go take your son up on this hillside and kill him for me. Sacrifice your only son that I've been promised to and you've been waited for for so many years. But no, I don't want to do that, God. And by the way, obedience, or shall I say disobedience, is evil. So Abraham had a choice. Do I disobey God, which is evil? Can I be saved or be righteous and yet be disobedient, be evil, or practice this great sin, which is evil? 
Abraham says, certainly not. Abraham says, certainly not. So he's confused. He doesn't understand what's going on here. But all he knows is God told him, go out and offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Okay? So, and the scriptures were fulfilled. That says, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God. He trusted that God. When he said, I will give you children, so many you can't count. Like the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea, whatever. Okay? He trusted God. Total trust in God. And he was called God's friend. You know the story. God didn't take Isaac. He kept him. But he was testing him. Crazy, huh? You see that a person is considered righteous. Now, I lighted this for a benefit. Is considered righteous. By what they do and not by faith alone. So we have to marry Scripture. Scripture doesn't contradict. Basic hermeneutics 101. Scripture does not contradict. It complements. So we take what we learn in Ephesians and in Romans and whatnot. We got James here. And I think Paul would hang out with James and say, you're right. You're right. I'm talking about this faith. But I'm not talking about faith. I'm talking about this passive thing. I'm not, or an active thing. I'm not talking about this. I, I'm born in Britain and... You know, my mom and dad took me to church. So I'm saved, I guess. Yeah, whatever. No, he's not talking about that. When he's talking about faith. He's talking about total trust in God like Abraham. This is what Paul's thinking about when he's talking about faith. You receive it. It's a gift of grace. But it's by faith you receive it. And James is saying this. If you have faith, you're, you're, it's going to be made known. You're going to be aware of it. You're going to see a difference. People in your life are going to be aware of it. They're going to see a difference. So there's one aspect. Have you received This gift by faith, total trust in God. Are you walking? Have you received the spirit of the living God? Are you changed? Are you seeing fruit, which can be talked about as something that you earn? You don't earn gospel. You don't earn salvation. But you can earn the benefits of living a life devoted to God. There's another part of this story that I would like to kind of evaluate. Maybe you can see this story from the disciples' perspective. Okay? Disciples, finally, finally, after all the persecution, hardship, seeing somebody who sees the gospel and receives it, right? Finally, somebody's willing to hear the gospel. My family rejects me. My friend, they reject me. Everybody rejects me. But finally, somebody's willing to hear the gospel. This is amazing. Well, I would like to refer you to Matthew 5, 11, 12, which we learned already in the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I kind of started this off by Commenting, do you feel pressure from receiving, believing, and passing on the message? Like disciples. Well, standing up for what is right for Jesus, standing up for Jesus, according to what Jesus says in Matthew 5.11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Reward, same word, wages earned, can't earn salvation. So he's not about salvation here. He's talking about something else, something blessed, something, ah, you go out. You're saved. That's fine. You get to be with Jesus. But you get more. You just keep going. Stand, stand strong for Jesus because great is your reward like the prophets before you who were persecuted. Next slide, please. So what then is due? Just, again, the idea of a reward, it's not just here. So it's not like I'm kind of, you know, trying to make something out of nothing. It's all through the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. This is Paul talking about why he's 
kind of glad he's still alive, <laughs> basically. He's like, for me, it's better that I just be absent in his body and be present with the Lord. But for your sake, for the sake of the kingdom, building up the church, building, getting the gospel out, building God's kingdom, that I must remain. But ultimately, we all will stand before God. And this is where he gets to in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And again, I believe in commentaries confirm that he's not talking about this particular place, about non-state people. He's talking about Christians, church people, believers. Believers, all believers must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, this is different. There's a different kind of judgment that non-believers, it's called the great white throne judgment, which is found in Revelation. But this is talking about, this is like almost like it's payday and we get to stand before our boss and say, all right, woo-hoo, let's celebrate. This is a good thing. This is not a frightful thing. So stand before the judgment of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due. Again, the idea about reward or wages, right? Okay, so we, this is beyond the, the, the salvation. This is beyond a, an inheritance in God's kingdom, you know, a, a ticket to heaven. This is beyond that. You're in heaven. We're in heaven. We're celebrating. But then we get to stand before God and say, all right, Christ, hey, here, good job. Good job, faithful servant. Good job. You, you're faithful. You were totally faithful. And, and you did some amazing things, you know, hard things. And, you know, good job. And so he's receiving what's due for the things done in the body, whether good or honorable, is the word of translating good, or bad, worthless. Okay? Saying 1 Corinthians 11, or 3, 11, 15. Again, this is Paul talking about himself and the other disciples and other apostles who are um, instrumental in the uh, foundation, the building, the beginning of the church. So he's talking about Apollos, you know, and all the different guys, you know, and, uh, and he's talking about what they do, okay? So let's, talk about, so let's talk about him. He's including him and the other apostles and talking about specifically the, the, the church and the building of the church and the, you know, the, the church administration, the government, the doctrines, all the stuff and all the hard work they're putting into it. And so he says this in 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, of course, we all, he's talking about, he's talking about Christianity. He's talking about the church of Christ here. So he goes, it begins with Jesus. There's no doubt about it. The, the, the argument isn't about whether it's Jesus or not. Jesus is, is there. We love Jesus. We're pursuing Jesus. But we want to build on top of that a church, a government, a system, a family. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, so basically, things that are precious and can stand fire, and things that burn up in fire, like wood, hay, and straw. Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. The day, in capital, I didn't capitalize it, it was capitalized in text, refers to the judgment again. So I think it can be the same judgment possibly we're seeing already in 2 Corinthians 5. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. I highlight that because, again, earlier we saw what's received due. Here we've seen a quality of what each person's work. So Christians, boys and girls, men and women, listen, what we do matters. The quality of each person's work. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul loved athletics. He loved competition. And he always talked about striving to do what's right. This is what God has put before me. I'm going to do it. And he always had this mentality of a crown or reward, which we'll get to in the next slide. I promise you, eventually. But I want to set it up with this. What is due? I highlighted, you know, 
some, some important things, you know, like what we do, lest it be worthless or not. What we do, the quality of it. And again, the word reward appears in the next sentence. If what has been burned survives, the builder will receive a reward. This is different than salvation. And why we know it is because he goes on to say, if it is burned up, however, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. This is not an issue about salvation. This is something different. This is something beyond that. In Revelation 22, 12, Jesus says, Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. Again, reward. Here, this is something you deserve. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. Next slide. Now, we get to the crowns, and I've got about, I think you should do this in five minutes. Yeah. The first one comes from a parable, which is a little bit iffy, because um, there is some suggestion that there might be a loss of salvation in this parable, but I'm not going to deal with that right now. What I want to deal with is just the purity of this um, part that I've highlighted. In this parable, and it's mentioned in Matthew 25, he says it twice, in verse 21 and 23, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So again, you did well. Salvation can't be earned, but this guy did well in the parable. 2 Timothy 4, 8 says this. Now, just for your reference, the, the parts I, I bolded will speak of the various crowns, okay? These kind of gifts, if you will. But the parts I highlighted, or underlined rather, are, are who, who, who receives these things. The, 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 I guess the merit of the work, I guess. Okay? So 2 Timothy 4, 8 says this. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Okay? which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. This is, again, Paul talking to Timothy, and he's fired up. He's like, oh, I'm just loving it. I can't wait to see this crown of righteousness that God has for me. How great. And it's not salvation. It's something different. And not to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Another thing is we don't want to assume that all saved people long for his appearing. There's some People who are saved and going to go to heaven are kind of afraid of his appearing. <laughs> like, well, that's kind of freaking me out a little bit. Okay? But this is talking about somebody who's got it. They understand that this is a good thing, his appearing. And they're, and they're fired up. Their whole life is based upon this. They, 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 they want to see this. They long for it. They want to get people ready for his appearing, you know? They deserve, they will get, they earn. It's not salvation, but the crown of righteousness. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the one who preserves under trial. Okay, that's the quality, preserving under trial. Trials will come, hard times will come, but there are those who preserve through it. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Okay? Revelation 2.10, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. This is Jesus talking to a church. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but one of the churches in, in Asia Minor in a time of persecution saying, listen, stick, be faithful. Stick to it. Be strong. And that's the thing. Be faithful. Being faithful matters. Even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Life. Look in life. Zoe. Quality of life. Living life. Without fear, joy, fullness of life. That's what he's talking about here. First Peter 5, 4. And when the sh chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. 
the chief shepherd is Jesus. He will appear. He will come. We're looking for it. We're working for it. Again, the idea is looking at the future. I'm, 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 I'm living for God. I'm building a scheme. I'm doing what he asked me to do. This is, and this is Peter here speaking. So we got Paul speaking. We've got Jesus speaking. We've got James speaking. Now we've got Peter speaking. So four different people, four different writers of the Bible speaking of these different crowns. So it wasn't just Paul's thing because he's a sportsman. Jesus talks about it. James talks about it. And then Peter's speaking of it now. You'll receive this crown of glory that will never fade. So just, I don't know what these crowns are, to be, to be honest with you. Your homework for this week is to go home and find out and let me know next week what exactly are these crowns. I can't figure it out. But let's move on. But my mind is, there is salvation and there is this, 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 this otherness, this kind of wages, this blessings for receiving the disciples, for receiving the message, for receiving Jesus. Call it, just like I said, simplicity of just the blessedness of knowing Christ. If you want to call it that, that's fine. But I kind of reckon there's something more to it. I think Paul and the other disciples kind of allude that there's a lot more to having a total faithful life. Okay? But Jesus, in Matthew 11, 1, here he goes. He finishes teaching finishes instructing his 12 disciples and he goes on there from there continuing his job to teach to preach that's it it's faithful keep going teaching we need to be instructed preaching we need to be made aware in the different towns in Galilee and I put this just to finish it up this message he's teaching is a radical message that is intended to change us it's not just a for your information oh by the way you know, just, just in, read all about it. Not an FYI, but this is intended to make real change. That's why, again, I, I want to add this verse in, and, and what Jesus said, or we already learned of Jesus and his message earlier in Matthew four seventeen. From the very get-go, almost done, from the very get-go, from the very start point, when Jesus began his preaching ministry, he preached repentance. Real change, real change. That's what Jesus is intending for people, intending for us. It's not a passive thing. Oh, by the way, you're saved because you're British or you're American or you're whatever. Or because you, you, know, you, you appear to church from time to time. You are saved because you have received by faith, total trust in God, this message and what it implies in its entirety and you have submitted to Christ. In his ways. You've died to yourself. You're, you have this thing called the spirit that's living in you. It's active and powerful. And it changes you. Oh, bango, bango, bongo. Whatever you want to call it. There's a free gift. You take it. It's an active process of faith. Change happens. You reap the benefits. There's a lot of blanks to be filled in there, I'm sure, for many of us. But your job is not to be lazy. We need to be active in our faith. So go home and study your Bibles and figure out what God has in store for you and I will do the same for me. And I will try to present some more information next Sunday morning as my job is. <laughs> but we will continue Matthew 11 next Sunday morning. So.